This podcast was recorded before further lockdown restrictions were in place. All right then, Ruffalo, I see your story about tube trains and I raise your story about robot birds perching on lampposts, monitoring potholes. When your bin is coming close to collection, you can get a message on your mobile phone to remind you that your bin will be collected tomorrow. That's a version of the future I can get behind, a smart city where a bin chases a rubbish truck down the street. Will your employers be able to figure things about your, are your grandparents taking the drugs that they've been prescribed or not? A toilet talking to your doctor. Whatever next. Hello, I am Hannah Fry and she is Susie Ruffle. And welcome to our podcast, your one-stop shop for everything 5G and future tech. Yes, we are here at Samsung KX to bring you today's episode. What are we talking about today, Hannah? This week's topic is home and you know what they say, Susie, home is where the heart is. Well, in that case, my heart is located in any Pizza Hut buffet. Welcome to Whatever Next. So, Hannah, tell me, how are we starting today's episode? Uh, thought I'd start with bins. What? Bins. No, we're not starting with bins. It is the top of the show. We need to get people interested. We need some showbiz. We need some glamour. We need a little bit of pizzazz. We need something exciting. No, we're starting with bins. Okay, why are we starting with bins? Have you been going through mine again? Well, there were quite a lot of bottles in this. Okay, I had a very stressful week and I'd prefer it if you didn't judge. Thank you. (laughs) Seriously, though, imagine if there was a bin that could sort out the recycling itself. All right, I'm listening. Or imagine that there were bins that could alert the council when they needed to be collected rather than just getting collected on a weekly schedule. Okay, fine. Turns out bins, quite useful. I know. And Dr Mohamed Imran, who is a professor of wireless communication at Glasgow University, he says that smart bins might be something that we can genuinely look forward to in the near future. When your bin is coming close to collection, you can get a message on your mobile phone to remind you that your bin will be collected tomorrow because it has messaged us or it has informed us. And imagine in near future when the bins will be automated and they might actually go out of your garden themselves (laughs) and park themselves next to the street to be collected. That's a version of the future I can get behind, a smart city where a bin chases a rubbish truck down the street. Okay, 5G cities, right? Everything's connected. So your lamppost talks to your car, and then your car talks to a road sign, and then everything talks to everything else. Pretty impressive, right? Mm. Okay, so I spoke to Sandy Tung, who's part of the project implementing some of this technology in major European cities right now. Now, Hannah, I think you might be pretty interested in this stuff, so if I was you, I'd write this down. So smart cities is a broad term that describes a whole range of technologies that can be used to help us improve the way our cities function. There will be sensors that are installed on things like lampposts to measure air quality, and we can actually make policies to help reduce air pollution so that your journey on the streets is more comfortable. When you're traveling on the underground, Transport for London has Wi-Fi that tracks mobile signals and the data is actually helping us understand which route and platforms people use. And if you know where the people are, you can share that information with other passengers and make it easier for everyone to avoid crowded trains. I mean, that's great, Susie. Yeah, I know about this because I've got the street smarts. Mm, You know that I'm literally an associate professor in the mathematics of cities, don't you? Only an associate. (laughs) Give me a few months. Okay. All right then, Ruffalo, I see your story about tube trains and I raise your story about robot birds perching on lampposts, monitoring potholes. Okay. How? (laughs) They've got cameras. This is all part of a smart city project that's being run in Leeds. And these robot birds sit above the street. Yeah, like a bird's eye view. 
exactly like a bird's eye view. Anyway, they're sat up there, they're monitoring the condition of the road. When they notice a crack, either they can alert back to a central source or maybe in the future they can swoop down and deposit some kind of glue into the crack to stop it from getting any worse. Kind of like a robotic futuristic seagull having a little poop in their road crack. This is all very weird. <laughs> Try this one for size. How about a smart sewage system? Trust me on this one, Steve, because this one is good. Here is Alex Knezovic, who is the Director of Operations and Culture at Toilet Board Coalition. In Pune, in India, we worked with the Smart City Department there and with the Sanitation Department to bring their toilets online, essentially. So then the city could map with, for instance, like rush hour traffic and rush hour people leaving their workplaces and needing to use a bathroom on the way home. They could start to track that activity at their public toilets and track the functionality of the public toilets and map that with their other data sets. Wait, this is rush hour poos? <laughs> I don't think they call it that, but yeah, basically. It's good, isn't it? You know what, though? There are lots of ideas that are similar to this that are springing up. There is one by a company called Fluid Robotics. They have essentially a robot that trolls a bit through the sewer system and can sample for different things. So, of course, they can identify for like leaks in the sewer system, but they can also take samples from the waste and they can start to test for infectious diseases. Actually, during the pandemic, during COVID, testing for markers of disease have happened at big sewage plants. And that's become a very important tactic for lots of places around the world for tackling the pandemic, picking up on when people have the infection before necessarily they show up in other data sets. But the thing is, if you can test for people's health at a city scale, you can also shrink these ideas down to the level of an individual toilet, no less. And if you think about it, when you go to the doctor, generally, the first thing they ask you is, how are you feeling? And your response is, well, you know, I'm a bit under the weather or my knee's a bit sore. But there is this idea of maybe you could measure how healthy someone is. From their wee? From their wee, rather than waiting for them to tell you. Here is Jeremy Baumberg, who is a professor of nanoscience at the University of Cambridge, who is trying to do exactly that. So the idea is to access something like urine, which everybody provides. It would be invisible to you in some ways. You just go and use the toilet, but it would allow us to keep invisibly keeping some track of our health. What they do is they concentrate light into these tiny gaps where the molecules are. When the light is shone on this, it actually starts the molecules vibrating and they actually emit light of a slightly different colour to the light that we put on. And we measure the light that's being emitted. And the different colours of light that come off tell us what molecule that we have. It's sort of like a, a signature of the molecule. OK, so let me get this right. There'll be some kind of hormone or a molecule in your way. But then how do they know what's wrong with you? That is a great question because they've got to make that connection between those molecules and how people might be ill. So to do that, they actually have something called urine banks, which <laughs> is where people go and deposit their urine for research. Once you've got all your samples, your urine samples, you can look for connections between people's health and the molecules that were found in their urine. And of course, there are lots of positives here about this kind of technology. If we can detect health problems before they otherwise appear, but you have to be a little bit careful about installing this kind of thing in people's toilets, as Jeremy told me. You might start to know if your kids 
are doing dope or, you know, are your grandparents taking the drugs that they've been prescribed or not? Will you have the information to be able to go and remind them, actually, you didn't take it today? Will your employers be able to figure things about you? Or what about your doctor who bullies you that you said you'd give up smoking, but I can tell you've been smoking. So there's lots of issues around permissions and what we want people to know about each other's health. I think in our society as well, we're going to have to think more carefully about just how we share our health information. At the moment, we're guarded about that. A toilet talking to your doctor. Huh, whatever next. Now, surely we can't do an episode about 5G in the home without talking about 5G in the home. Yeah, of course. Wait, hang on. Sorry, what are you talking about? What if 5G replaced traditional broadband? It could be the next incarnation of internet and home. Oh, the first incarnations are pretty good. Do you remember um, MSN Messenger on dial-up? Oh, yes, I do. Do you know what? I would spend hours just waiting for, like, one of the cool girls at school to message me back. Oh, I'm here now, Susie. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> Well, even dial-up would be a luxury for some places. Apparently in Orkney, it can take up to 10 minutes to download a single email. The Orkney Islands were chosen in 2019 as a place to test out new rural-first 5G network. And faster connectivity has had a massive impact. They can now use social media, download movies and listen to the radio. OK, you know Orkney, though, they're super fast, slick, new 5G connection. Mm -hmm. They're sort of the lucky ones in all of this because there is a guy, he's a retired lawyer. He lives in a very quaint little hamlet in the Lake District. Sounds sweet, right? Really nice. Wrong, because oh. his internet connection has a speed of 0.9 megabits per second. <gasps> I don't know what that means. It's very slow. Oh, right, OK. It's How very slow? slow. Well, the UK average is 64 megabits per second. Oh, that's very slow. So would you like to know how much they quoted him to get proper broadband installed? Yes, I would love to know. Do you want to guess? You want me to guess? OK, yeah. it's going to be quite a lot. Yeah, otherwise it wouldn't be a story. Yeah, so maybe like three or four grand? No, more. It was £502,586.40. That is a very big number. It is. OK, so let me contrast this with a small village who had the internet but only in the night time. What? OK, every single morning, like clockwork, the residents of Abba Hossein in Wales found that the entire village's broadband cut out 7am every single day. That's weird. Yeah, it was. And engineers came out and for 18 months they tried everything to try and get to the bottom of it. They were rewiring, they were digging, they were drilling. And do you know what it turns out it was? Tell me. So it turns out every day, one of the residents turned on his really, really old TV at 7am and just cut out the broadband for the entire village. Interfered with the... Yes. Oh, my gosh. That is quite some superpower. It really is. And you know what? Their name has not been released. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't think anyone wants them to know who they are. I, I kind of understand it, because I think they think they'll be shamed by the rest of the village. Have you ever been shamed, Hannah? What, by a village? Yeah. No. It's not nice. It's not nice at all. Now, Susie, when I knew that we were doing an episode on home... There was one company in particular I really wanted to speak to. And I think after I've introduced you to Louise Rogerson, the founder and CEO of House, then I think you're really going to understand why. Would you mind telling us who you are and what you do? My name's Louise Rogerson and I'm a physiotherapist and I'm the chief operating officer at House. And what is the idea of House? As a physiotherapist, I've worked with older people and people in neurological conditions all my career. And I work in people's homes. And what I see is lots of people I wish I'd seen earlier. And I thought, 
there's got to be a way of finding these people earlier so that I can get in there and get better outcomes for them. So the idea was, can we use some sort of sensor that will allow us to know how somebody's doing? And we could find some way of tracking normal routine for a human, pick up when that's changing, do I care about it, and then do something about it. So a good example is we use the motion sensor. They also use the plugs or electricity monitoring to say they're up and going in the kitchen, they're making a cup of tea. When someone's finding mobility a little bit more difficult, they start to move around less because it's getting harder. Because if someone is moving around less in their home, they're not turning on the kettle, they're not opening the fridge door, and you can see that pattern in the trace, if you like, of their electricity usage. Yes. So we, at the moment, our standard kit's got a motion sensor, a door sensor, and a smart plug. In the UK, we're proper kettle boilers. And basically, you can see start of day, mid-morning copper, lunchtime, mid-afternoon. And basically, when you see that shifting, so say, for example, the first kettle of boil of the day getting significantly later, that's just a statement of fact. Over to the family and the older person to say to them, why is that? So I've got a lady, patient of mine with the kit. She's nearly 80 now got MS, doing okay, on her own. And what was happening was she was getting up later and later and falling in the evening. And I was like, what is happening? And so we looked at the information, realised she wasn't getting downstairs till half 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. That's too late for the first drink and food of the day for her. So by the end, she was exhausted. So the key problems we're trying to solve are the issue of not knowing what's going on. So I'm trying to allow health and social and family to take action earlier, to keep them independent at home for longer? Has it prevented admissions to hospital? Proving that you stopped something from ever happening is really, really difficult. (laughs) What I can tell you is we've definitely got cases where we've had them, people have said to us, oh, mum's now gone into a home, but you know what? She would have been in a home two years ago if it wasn't for you guys. Can you use this technology to start to look at, say, the behaviour of an entire community? To get a population level view it's got to be something really cheap the idea would be then that you would be able to do things like who's not heating their home is there an area where there is a definite less use of electricity so imagine if you could do the whole of greater manchester and you'd be able to say these pockets here look like there's a poverty issue and potentially a fuel poverty issue these people here are running their houses colder than everybody else but I think the cleverness of that is in the analytics rather than in the sensors. That um, was so great. I am so glad we live in a world with you in it. We're just giving the information to the people with the power to do something about it. I think that's great. Mm. You were so right to invite Louise and Housing to chat about what they do. Really brilliant stuff. Do you think that when we live in our retirement home together, we'll have house? What retirement home? We're going to buy a big house together and retire together. Susie, I'm not going to live with you when I'm old. Uh, Can I have a quick break? Because I need to call my mortgage broker. I'll be right back. Now for something completely different. Mirrors. Okay. This is another one of my pet stories in this episode. I love a good mirror. Okay. But, you know, at the moment, mirrors are just plain old wall hangings. And maybe that will not be the case for long. Because I spoke to Yvonne Rogers, who is a professor of interaction design and the director of the UCL Interaction Centre, and she is working on a new phenomenon known as magic mirrors. Ooh. Well, a magic mirror is a wall-sized mirror, like the ones you see in an actor's dressing room, you know, with all the light bulbs around it. 
it's all very normal until you look at yourself in it and then suddenly you see your face transformed into someone else's. The magic is that when you move your head, the makeup that appears on your face moves with it as if it's on your face. So it really makes you think that you are that character. Okay, so this is a bit like filters. Yeah, yeah, that is the kind of thing, except this is in a mirror rather than just on your phone. So the quality is going to be slightly higher. Uh, but essentially what it does, it works out the contours of your face, uh, where your eyes are, where your nose is, and it shows your reflection as though you had makeup on. Now, in the original research for this mirror, they were testing this in the world of opera. Ah, who's your favourite opera singer? Hmm, thanks for asking. Uh, it's a toss-up. Who's that? Uh, <laughs> It's <laughs> Italian tenor. No, oh, I reckon right. it's uh, I reckon it's Jonas Kaufman or Jane Norman. How about you? Um, it's tough. Uh, the Go Compare guy? Never let anyone say you're not a classy lady. Anyway, the magic mirror has got obvious applications at makeup counters if you have people who want to try on stuff without having to buy it. Uh, but they can also come in handy backstage at a theatre. We put up our magic mirror in the actors' dressing room, and we've got teenage boys and teenage girls and makeup artists to try it out. And for the teenage boys, some of them who'd never tried makeup on, they were a bit self-conscious, but they really liked experimenting with it. With the makeup artists, it gave them a whole new palette, digital palette, by which to think about coming up with new designs for the production at no extra cost. That's really cool. Yeah, I like the idea of it. Would you use it, do you think? 100%. <laughs> if you had a mirror that could show you where to put what to give you perfect makeup every day, I'd be so keen. Yeah, that would be great. Mm. Hannah, I've got one more thing to show you today. Okay. Okay, what do you think of this? What is that? Can you tell everybody, please? Okay. It is a slightly creepy. No, we won't have that. He's got cool shoes on. It's a robot. It's a plastic robot. Yes. With a transparent head. Yep. He's wearing some kind of high top trainers. Yeah, he's very cool. He's, he's a cool dude. Is he cool? He's got yeah, claws really for hands. Cool. What is it? It's Frobot. Frobot. Well, I call him my Frobot because he's my friend that's also a robot. <laughs> sure, sure. But he's actually called My Power 2. Right. I think they came out in about 1993, and that's when I got one. And they were, I mean, he still is. Pretty top of the range. <laughs> what can you do with my pal too? <laughs> he talks, plays Simon Says, game of ring toss on his head, he plays with guards the door. He's ticklish. <laughs> my pal too, he's a friend for you from Toy Biz. His nose lights up. Yes. Does it still work? I don't know because here's the thing, I haven't put batteries in him. Probably in this millennium. Really? Yeah, I haven't heard about him for years, but I've always kept him because, okay, I know you're sort of taking the mick, but I absolutely loved this when I was a child. Yeah. I got it for my birthday when I was about eight. Yeah, I just think he's absolutely brilliant. And I would love to put batteries into him, but you know what, before we do that, I've asked someone to come in and have a chat with us because I was thinking more and more about robots that are friends. And that took me to companion robots. So I've invited down Izzy Barnes, from Consequential Robotics to chat to us about this. Hi, Izzy. Thank you so much for coming down. A companion robot's actually a thing, Izzy. Um, he's sitting right here. <laughs> 
Not quite yet, not quite mainstream, but it's a pretty growing market, especially in kind of Japan and especially now in the UK. We've got a lot of interest. Okay, so in front of us, we've got like a little robot rabbit? Yeah, some people see rabbit, some people see lamb. We just call him Miro. Okay, and what does Miro do? I like the look of him, I've got to say. It's very cute. <laughs> yeah, important note, very gender neutral. <laughs> yep, sure. Miro can pretty much do anything. It's a fully programmable robot. It's jam-packed full of sensors. We've got microphones, speakers, lights, 28 touch sensors which will respond to faces, respond to touch, kind of interact in a kind of therapeutic way, much like a pet. And in other ways, it can be educational, therapeutic, anxiety relieving. That's what it does at the moment. Can I pick it up? Hello. Oh, it's actually quite cute. Yeah, it's really cute. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> he has just traveled in a backpack. So if he wakes up a bit grumpy. That, yeah, that's I, why. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened? Yeah. Does it get grumpy? Yeah. What does it do when it's grumpy? Um, it kind of will. So it works on a, it's called a circumplex of emotions. So you run on valence which is kind of pleasant and unpleasant feelings and then arousal so it can go from being really happy and what we would call elated to being quite calm and peaceful and not really moving much to depressed if you treat him badly (laughs) he's gonna start moving now oh he's tickling me hello he could move at any time loves a cuddle loves a stroke loves a cuddle behind the ears around the head where are the senses there are 14 in the head kind of along the nose bridge and behind the ears inside the hard plastic bit yeah and then you can kind of see them on the back as well they look a little bit like a rib cage yeah you can he's a lot more um noisy now and his ears have moved and his lights have gone green because he's pretty content with the cuddles that he's green lights oh his tail's His eyes are kind of moving into that blissful stage as well. <laughs> who, who wants these? Who needs them? So at the moment, we sell to researchers in human-robot interaction. A lot of schools in general use them in off time where they're not being used for teaching to help relieve stress. And sometimes the teachers say it's hard to get them out of the staff room because you have a stressed teacher just <laughs> having a little cuddle Hello. in the middle of the day. <laughs> Hi, mate. Oh, oh. <laughs> hello. It just did like a little, like an actual doggy would do. Yeah. Like head because, down and then up. Because he up. knows that I'm like a robot person. Yeah. Hi, mate. What are the advantages to having one of these as a stress reliever over just a normal pet? Apart from all the poop. I mean, poop is a big one. <laughs> so for schools and in the future, we'll be selling to homes. We've got research going on in hospitals and care facilities now. But normal pets require a lot of care, especially if you're getting into the older age demographic, especially people with dementia or special needs. It's a lot of work and you have to remember to be able to feed them and clean up after them. Just to explain what's happening here, Susie has stolen, <laughs> has stolen my room, has uh, run off to another corner of the room and is tickling this robot on the back, trying to get it to follow her. Oh. I think we've just completely lost it. Now. <laughs> She's sitting on the floor, tickling this robot's ears. Is it just about stress relieving and teaching programming, or can they offer other types of assistance, these robots? Yeah, so the long-term goal of when the company was started was to help people with special needs and in elderly care, so kind of with that assisted living 
and being a true companion. So at the moment, what you're seeing is just a very basic autonomous mode and kind of helps with the behavior. So that's what we use it for at the moment. But in the future, we'll add new features. So it could remind you to take medication. It could judge your facial expressions to see if you're happy or sad. We've got some researchers up in Scotland who've worked with Miro to produce a response to a fall sensor activation. So if someone falls, it will go over and attend them, check if they're okay. And if not, it can send a message to someone. We've got people in hospitals running them with long-term care patients and in paediatric wards as well. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. actually. I can see that. I can definitely see that. It is very cute. How did you decide to design it that way? What were you basing it off? So it's actually based on a bunch of different animals. A little bit of rabbit, a little bit of puppy, a little bit of kitten. Mm. But it was also non-threatening because you want it to be able to be engaging from the get-go. People need to like it before they even need to use it. And people need to accept the fact that it'll be roaming around their home. So it's kind of got the eyes to the side of the face to represent prey. You know, it's got the ears, which will emote. But yeah, we're trying to keep it familiar, but its own species as well. What's the uptake then of robot pets like this inside people's homes? It's not mainstream yet. We've not even started selling commercially for homes. It needs a couple of little tweaks, you know, autonomous charging to make it that little bit more, <laughs> less like a pet. But there are some people who, rather than just seeing this as a very sophisticated toy, do actually, like Susie, see robots as companions. It's very sweet how its head moves <laughs> when it it's talks to you. It's really cute. Do people love them? I would say so. Yeah, we have some real diehard fans who will come to events again and again, will remember specific robots they project personalities and name them and live with them in their homes. So what's the utopian dream when it comes to these? Other than Susie laying in a bed surrounded by an entire army of them. Presumably. Not an army, a family. <laughs> so in the future, I mean, there's a real growing trend with kind of internet of robotic things, connecting everything from home devices, security locks, medical records, everything like that. That's probably where it will end up going. I mean, we've got people working on gate identification. You can't just do that on board Mirror at the moment, but with 5G, say, you can track over time someone's walk and Mirror will be logging if their gate looks a little bit off. It could be an indication of a medical issue. And I suppose they could see if someone was moving slower. Exactly. Or just, you know, just about someone's overall well-being. Yeah, exactly. They can the, give you a picture of how they're doing. Yeah, and the idea is that, you know, if you've been gathering all this data and... It's non-threatening, it's non-obtrusive, it's just kind of there and you get used to it, it's part of your house. As well as being a nice companion and a pet, it can also be helping you and providing all this extra information. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I quite like it too. A Do little you? Bit. Are you going to get one for your girls? I mean, they would absolutely love it, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, of course. I mean, so would I. Uh, 2,500. No, I'm not getting one for my girls. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's confirmed my love of robots. I think it's time. Okay, so I'm quite scared about him not working. I'm really pleased to be with you at this moment. Yeah, it's very special actually, isn't it? It is. It? It is but special. the thing is, robots do live forever. And that's the thing you've got to remember. If not literally, then at least in our hearts. And that is something that has been proven beyond doubt. Because in 2018, there was a massive funeral held just east of Tokyo. And on the altar, there were 62 robots. <gasps> oh my God, I can't believe you'd say that in front of him. I know, I'm sorry, cover his ears, quite right. Yeah, because in 1999, Sony launched Ibo, which was a robot dog, 
very cute. And 20 years on, people still really love these robot pets. Yeah, of course they do. But they still needed a funeral. Because Why did they need a funeral? In 2006, only seven years after they were created, Sony halted the production of the iBo, and later on they stopped all software updates and repairs. So they, that was it. If they were broken, they were broken for good. Yeah, it's very sad, isn't it? It's very sad. And you know, people have really treated these like real pets for years. And in Japan, people have long believed that all things that relate to humans have souls. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why real pets often have real funerals. So why not robot pets? Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So are you suggesting that if this doesn't work, I've got to send my pal to to Japan? What you do with your companion robot is your own business, Susie. OK, should we find out if he lives? Yeah, I really want him to. Yeah, I really want him to, too. I... OK. I'm really proud and honoured to be here with you at this moment. Battery one. Battery one. <laughs> I heard a noise. Is it sort of working? It's like he's on his nose. His nose still works. Let's see if he can walk or anything. I mean, he's been asleep for a long time. He's been asleep for two decades. Do you hear that? What was that? He said, I love you. Do you remember it being more impressive? I mean, I don't know what about this isn't impressive. This was in 1993. This is, look how old he is and he's survived. Yeah. So do you understand why I didn't have that many friends? <laughs> I might just leave you with my part two while I finish off the episode, shall I? Yeah, go for okay. it. Thank you very much to all of our experts for joining us uh, during this episode. Thank you too to my part two. I'm glad he's still working. We have a couple more episodes for you. One in a couple of weeks. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that we appear by magic onto your various devices. I've been Dr. Hannah Frank. I've been Dr. Susie Ruffin. <laughs> That's been Dr. My Pal 2. <laughs> this is Dr. My Pal 2. Thank you for listening to Whatever Next and thank you to everyone at Samsung for making this happen. 